لغة الكلام كما رأيت على فمي خجلا ولولا الحب لم أتكلمي لغة الكلام كما رأيت على فمي خجلا ولولا الحب لم أتكلم يا مظهر التوحيد يا يا مظهر التوحيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد سيد الأولين والآخرين وعلى آله وصحبته أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Welcome to SwissCast, I'm your host, Brother Swahib Webb Like, love, learn and share Share and write reviews Trust me, um, that supports the work I'm doing In more ways than you can imagine Sharing equals caring, right? And writing reviews, especially on the Apple page Goes a long way to helping out some of the things That I'm trying to accomplish, alhamdulillah Now a few years ago, actually a long time ago, man, um, I was in Northern California, beautiful community, mashallah, and our brothers and sisters at CARE were getting ready for the CARE banquet, and they were putting out their flyers and posters, and I remember a brother, he started tearing down their posters, man, subhanAllah, he used to write Kafir, actually on the posters of CARE, and when he was confronted, he said, you know, this is not something that the Prophet did, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet ﷺ, he never did anything like this. He never did anything like care. And while that may seem somewhat benign, I would argue that that, that ethos tends to permeate the broader Muslim community. That's something that the Prophet hasn't done. We should avoid it. And there's a number of reasons for this. Largely because of a reintroduction of what would be considered problematic literacy uh, within the mainstream veins of the Muslim community, without them realizing it, there was a world kind of crafted around them. It's like the Truman Show. Um, and they're not aware that they're being improperly educated. Number two is the lack of qualified instructors, especially in Islamic private high schools. And that's why I wrote my book, Essentials of Islamic Faith, to contribute kind of to the broader education of people. And then thirdly is just our environment, where we are historically um, it's not fair to blame anyone for these things. And then, and then the last, excuse me, would be like the inability of most of us to pursue religious education passionately and properly. Passionately sometimes exists. Properly sometimes exists. It's very rare to find passion and then a proper organized systematic process taking place. And that's why I've seen it so many times online, just like I saw it back in those days in Northern California. And may Allah help the people there that are going through those fires, man. That the idea that because the Prophet hasn't done something, alayhi salatu salam, or the Sahaba never did it, that that equals what's called al-hujjah. And the hujjah is a proof. What it means is that an action is a proof, yuhtaju bihi, for a ruling. So... It's interesting to note that people tend to think that what the Prophet didn't do, or what the Prophet avoided, or what 
the Sahaba didn't do or the Salaf didn't do is somehow going to correlate with something being forbidden or prohibited. So today we're going to talk about two things. Number one, a very important axiom found in our books of Usul al-Fiqh. And number two, we'll maybe do this the next time, we'll talk about bid'ah and innovation. But the first is what's remarkable about this claim of these people is if you were to investigate, you were to ask them, they would not be able to substantiate that feeling, that passion, which is important, right? I get it. Wanting to preserve the religion is an important thing. I respect that. But we need to be able to move beyond passion, as I said earlier, to being able to like support uh, from the perspective of our body of scholarly work, the positions that we're taking, as well as from the Quran and Sunnah. So there is a really, really powerful axiom found in the books of Usul al-Fiqh, the philosophy of Islamic law, that you're going to find over and over and over again. It's mentioned also in, in different fatawi by earlier scholars, Ibn Hazm, for example, that at-tarku laysa bihujja. At-tark means the Prophet did not do something. Okay? Laysa is not bihujja, a proof. So this is something that is agreed upon by the scholars. They may differ on its application and its 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 kind of scope, but they agree on it in general. There are some evidences for this. The Prophet wasallam in Sahih al-Bukhari, when someone presented him with a lizard to eat, he didn't eat it. He actually pulled away from it, right, with, with etiquette. And some of his companions said, is it forbidden? Is this something forbidden? Because they saw the prophet Taraka. He, 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 he stayed away from it. That's called Tark. He didn't do it. And the prophet said, No, meaning it's not haram. It's just not something that's familiar to my, my area. It's not something that we eat. Scholars extracted from this, this important principle, that because the prophet didn't do something, does not lead to a hujjah. A hujjah, a proof for it being an obligation or a proof being that it is forbidden. I'm going to read with you a poem that's written on this and explain this poem to you, inshallah, in this short uh, time we have together. And then in the future, we'll build on talking about the idea of bid'ah and how, unfortunately, the reframing of both concepts have been used to really harm our potential as a community, because the word ummah is synonymous with potential. So the poem, it's very beautiful, says, At-tarku laysa bihujjatin fi shara'iyina That at-tark, not doing something, is not a proof in our sharia. La yaqtadi man'an wa la ijaba That at-tark, meaning something that the Prophet didn't do, something that the Sahaba didn't do, something that the Salaf didn't do, is not is not going to either be an obligation, something you have to do, or something forbidden. Not a man'an, meaning haram. It's not haram, or ijaba, something that you have to do. So, the example I gave earlier of the Prophet ﷺ not eating the lizard did not equate to the lizard being forbidden. It's just something the Prophet didn't do. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We also understand this from verses of the Qur'an that the origin of things is permissibility. 
الأصل في الأشياء باحة. The origin of things, Al-Hattab al-Maliki said, and this is a better definition, Al-Aslu fi al-Asha like the origin of beneficial things is to be understood that it's, it's, it's allowed. So we don't start from the perspective of things being forbidden. That in itself is a mistake. Of course, in worship, I understand people have their concerns. We'll talk about that in the future. Of course, the general principle is that things in worship can only be introduced by the revelation but we'll talk about the two opinions about that later on inshallah perhaps in the next episode but right now we're talking about what is the fundamental attitude that i should have as a muslim towards things which the prophet didn't do and the quran didn't talk about what's called al-maskutu anha imam ibn hazm said al-maskutu anha mubah Right, that those things that the Quran didn't talk about, the Prophet didn't talk about, or didn't do, or refrain from, their 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 foundation is permissibility, and that's why Subhanallah, and you can go check this out for yourself, in the third chapter of the Quran, Allah says, in the fifth chapter of the Quran, excuse me, the third verse, Hurimat alaykumul maytatu, it says that dead animals have been made prohibited for you. Meaning the, the foundation of all things is permissibility. So everything is permissible unless the Quran or the Prophet says this is forbidden. So hurrimat means initially you may have thought this was permissible because that's the foundation. Here's the exception. So we say al-ibaha, al-ibaha hu al-asl. That permissibility is the foundation. What tahrim aw al-hurma istithna. And that something being forbidden or prohibited is the exception to the foundation. Foundation meaning permissible. So that means it's not on care to prove to that person that what they're doing is halal because that's the foundation. He has to prove to them it's haram. And now you can see how messed up we are, subhanAllah, in our thinking. And how we may have limited our potential as a community to really do good for people. So the poem says, this axiom that a turk, the prophet not doing something or leaving something, is not in itself a proof in sharia. It does not equate to something being prohibited or to something being uh, an obligation. And whoever assumes or tries to establish something is forbidden because the prophet left it or didn't do it and they see that that is a ruling that the prophet did not do it the salaf did not do it the early muslims did not do it therefore the ruling that they see through that lens according to them is a sound acceptable ruling who said he says uh, the sheikh Whoever thinks that, This person has gone astray from all the methodologies of using the evidences in Sharia. قد indeed ضل astray عن نهجي and the methodology, al-adillati, of the evidences, kulliha. 
This person is not following the proper discipline. We said earlier, passion has to be met with scholarship. Scholarship is training and discipline, objectivity, and nuance. A lot of people have passion, but what we need is passion coupled with discipline and scholarship. And also we have some people that are very well gifted intellectually, but they are not passionate. They don't have that fire. Like we need both. So he says, He says, no, in fact, this person has ruined the original, original ruling, which was permissibility. So whoever thinks that because the Prophet didn't do something and something and the Salaf didn't do something, and then they think that's a ruling to be used, he says, they've gone astray. And in fact, they've undermined it. The original ruling, which was permissibility. Allah says in the Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah made everything permissible for you. Everything is permissible for you. Now here are the, the conditions when we do understand that if the Prophet didn't do something or the early generations didn't do something, then that thing actually is forbidden. So there's a few. We'll mention three. La hadra yumkinu illa in That there is no understanding that something that wasn't done by the Prophet or even avoided by the Prophet is forbidden unless it's accompanied with what's called a nahi. And nahi basically means don't do this. La taqrabu zina. Don't come close to fornication. Right? Ijtanibuhu. Avoid alcohol. So these are things that the Prophet some did not do, alhamdulillah, but also are accompanied with clear texts that say, do not do it. That's called nahi. So he says, لا حضر يمكن إلا إن نهي أتى متواعدا لمخالفه عذابا And that that nahi says, if you do this, you may go to hell. You will go to hell, potentially. So that's the first, that it's accompanied with a nahi, a prohibition that is linked to the hellfire. The second, or also the text links the action to a punishment in the hereafter. So the first is a nahi, just like don't do it. Okay, don't do it, excuse me. Doesn't mention hell, doesn't mention, just says don't do it. We understand a nahi yufiru tahrim. There's an axiom that says a nahi yufiru hurma. That when Allah says, don't do something, we understand it to be prohibited. The second is, that the person who may want to do this act is threatened with the punishment of hell. So, for example, in the fourth chapter of the Quran, whoever usurps the property of the orphans actually eats hellfire. Right? So, that obviously is that something the Prophet didn't do, والسلام, or the early Muslims, it is uh, uh, contextualized with punishment in this life or the next, then that is also considered forbidden. So we took two things that the Prophet didn't do or the early Muslims. Number one, there's a text that says, La, don't do it. Number two, the action itself is correlated to a punishment in the hereafter. For example, like backbiting, like uh, murdering somebody, like stealing, all of those things are going to fall under a turk, 
something that the Prophet didn't do, his companions didn't do, the Sadaf didn't do. But then there is a text from Quran and Sunnah that says this thing is going to bring someone punishment in this life or the next. Or he said a a a text that uses the word haram. Allah said in Surah Nisa, it is forbidden for you to marry your mothers. So the 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 the, the word hurrim hurrimat it has been made forbidden is very clear is very clear and it links it to being haram and haram of course yuakibu aba is linked to like a shame so mashallah man it's a lot to unpack and let me just summarize it for you quickly and you can always hit me up if you have questions number one at-tarku laysa that just because the Prophet and the early Muslims didn't do something doesn't mean that there's a ruling that comes from that. Right? And whoever thinks that, whoever does that, has gone astray from the methodology of usul al-fiqh, and has undermined it, the original ruling, which is permissibility. So, there's a bid'ah there of making haram what Allah made halal. Allah says in Sultan Ma'idah, don't make what was permissible forbidden. Don't make it forbidden. Then, of course, we mentioned there's three areas where the early Muslims not doing something, the Prophet not doing something, is going to lead to the notion that there is a ruling that it should be avoided. It could be makruh, it could be haram, it could be considered also an obligation, but that that needs some scholarship, that needs some complex metrics. But let's mention three. Number one, la hadra yumkinu illa in There's nothing that the Prophet did not do or the early Muslims did not do that's considered haram in general unless there's a nahi, which means la. La, la man nahi. La taf'alu. La taqrabu zina. So the word itself, do not come close to fornication. So we understand that is something the Prophet didn't do, the early Muslims didn't do, and there's a text that says don't do it. So that is, of course, meaning that is forbidden. Mutawa'idan li mukhalifihi adaba. Right, that's linked to punishment, and then or the action itself is linked to a punishment in the hereafter. Like, for example, usurping the property of orphans. We understand now that tark yufidu al hurma, yufidu al hurma, and then the last we said, or the word haram is used. So, mashallah, man, this is a very, very important principle that when you have questions, you can go ask your local imams and local scholars about the idea of at-tarku laysa bihujjah. That just because the Prophet and the early generations of Muslims didn't do something, that does not necessitate that that thing is forbidden or that it is an obligation to avoid it, that it would be bid'ah. And that's why Imam Shafi'i said, foolish is the person who thinks that just because the Prophet didn't do something, and the Salaf didn't do something, that, for example, they cannot do it. He, he said this, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So alhamdulillah, the axiom, at-tarku laysa bihujjah, 
is extremely important. It's found in our foundational texts. We couple our emotions and our passion for religion. We tether that with religious knowledge. I hope that this helped you out, man. At-tarku laysa bihujja, except in three situations. If the word no is mentioned, if the act is correlated with punishment in this life or the next, or if the word haram is used, impermissibility is used. MashaAllah, man, our deen is a beautiful deen. Barakallahu fikum. Next time, inshallah, we'll pick up on this discussion and go into the idea of bidah and the two different major schools that dominated the Muslim community in the idea of innovation in acts of religion, in acts of religion. Jazakallahu khairan. Like, love, share, write reviews. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.